we come to the scripture now, let me ask you please uh, to pray with me, Father. We humbly plead with you to enable us to listen and to understand and to believe. We pray that you would nourish us by this word today, fill us with it, that we would hear it and that our faith would increase, that we would know you better, that we would leave this place desiring to follow you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love you well, to be devoted to you, to be loyal to you, and to show the world that you're God, that Jesus, you're the Christ, and in you there is salvation. We pray that you would help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to Daniel in chapter 6. Daniel in chapter 6, please. I'd like to read. God will help me these 28 verses. Please now hear the word of God. It pleased Darius. Now I know that last week I said Darius and a lot of people say Darius. I grew up saying Darius. So right or wrong, that's what you're going to get. All right, today, Darius, it just comes out of me that way. Um, I know all the pronunciation books say Darius, but I grew up in a steel mill town in western Pennsylvania, and they've perverted my speech. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that... The king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set over him the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no fault for the complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction That whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where He had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? 
The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. And then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Well, then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. He labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is, a, it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No, no diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king. I've done no harm. Well, then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children and their wives, and before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the people, nations, and languages that dwelt in the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. I don't suppose there is a more well-known Bible story, as we say, than this one. Daniel in the lion's den. You know, as such, sometimes when we get these very familiar ones, it's hard sometimes to listen. It's hard sometimes to think it through. It's hard time to go back there because as you heard it so many times, we, we've pictured it, we've got it done, we're ready uh, to, to move on. And other times, of course, we, we kind of relegate this incident to, uh, to the children, you know. It's kind of a children's Bible story. And, and that doesn't mean the children shouldn't take it up. I mean, they certainly should. They should, they should listen to it and they should color it in their, in their Sunday school books and, 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 in fact, it may be that the children get this story better than adults do. Maybe they understand it that, 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 uh, a bit better, you see. 
Uh, they get caught up in, 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 in the very sense of it, the drama of it, the injustice of it, the evil of it, of it really. They, they, they sense the real fus- frustration of, of, of Darius getting caught in this plot, this necessary accessory to the satraps who come and, and have this plot against, against, against Daniel. They, they, they get this sense of, 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 of evil in the satraps who catch Daniel in this particular trap that they set for him, they, they get a, a real sense of that. They're, they're terrorized by the thought of, 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 of being in the, in the very place where these lions could get you and, and eat you. They're, they're amazed by the miracle that they, that they don't. And they rather celebrate. Children rather celebrate the fact that those who plotted against Daniel and their families end up being eaten by the lions. They really like that part. And we rather miss the celebration of the justice of God as adults. But they rather get it. But, but, but still, for us, we must overcome the danger of kind of thinking that we know it and, and looking at it again one more time to to set it up of course you remember that daniel was one of the exiles who came from uh, jerusalem to, to babylon and now babylon has been overtaken by the persians and you remember that that this all took place daniel was first exiled from jerusalem uh, to babylon in about 605 bc the persians came in and conquered the babylonians on or about uh, 539, 538 BC. So you realize that Daniel now is at least 80 years old. Right? He's been there at least 65 years. And he was a young man when he arrived. 15, 20, whatever it is. We don't know exactly how long into the reign of Darius and Cyrus, maybe Darius Cyrus. We, we don't know uh, how, uh, how far into it that, uh, that they are, but probably not too far in. But long enough for Daniel to be observed as one who would be appointed as head over all. But whatever that is, you realize we're dealing with someone who is older, not a spring chicken, as they say. And not only that, we realize that uh, we only have in Daniel's life five accounts of his life over all those years. We've been hanging out with Daniel for 65 years, but we don't know that much about him. And what we know about him is really cool. What we know about him is really dramatic. But what we realize is that if we only have five events, either there's a lot of drama that we don't know, or that Daniel essentially lived a rather ordinary life most of the time, that he wasn't always interpreting dreams, that he wasn't always uh, bringing kings to make a pronouncement about who God is or any of that. He was Now, he had a pretty good job. I mean, he was, he was always a higher up, if you will, it seems, in the, in the government of Babylon. But, but, and that would be great. And, but 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 still, best we can figure, he, he lived rather daily, if you will. He really lived a rather ordinary life. So we, we shouldn't smush his life up and say that every day was like this one. It probably wasn't. There were many days that he just went through most days, almost all of his days, that he went through just sort of the ordinary paces as anyone 
as anyone might. And remember, we're looking at this through a couple of lenses. One is asking the question, how do we learn how to live in Babylon from Daniel? How do we learn to live in the, in the world in which we live from Daniel? But that's not the key lesson, I don't think. The key lesson is what do we really know about God here? What's he saying to us about, about himself? Um, and if you could, let's just jump to the end very quickly. Uh, in verse 28. 26, I mean. Um, This is the decree of King Darius at the end. He says, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. That's that's where this ends. Now, to me, that's a great hope that, that in the midst of this kind of situation, we understand how it built up. In the midst of that kind of situation, it ends with God being worshipped. This decree that, that God would be worshipped. And it also, and this is a bit of an aside, I think, in the story. This isn't the main guts of it. But this is, this is kind of an aside, I think. When I read that, I must say, and I don't think it's my pride only, but I, I must say, this is a bit of a challenge to it. I wonder if anybody who hangs out with me says, I should worship the God of Bill. <laughs> I should worship the I see this guy, and, 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 and he must have a great God. Now, it, it was pretty easy, I suppose, for Darius to go, mm, Daniel has a great God, we should worship him. And I'm not saying that I have the call of Daniel on my life, or you on yours, or that I, we have the same place in redemptive history that Daniel did. That's why it's a bit of an aside. But it just catches me that, that there, there, there was something about Daniel's life that was significant, that, that, that caught the king's attention, that he would, would think it through, and say, you know what's behind Daniel is his God. But I would hope, of course, that us as a church, that people would know us as a church, Grace Church, would know us and say, well, they have a great God. You remember how Jesus put it? He said that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And what's, what's fascinating to me here is, is that what really caught their attention, at least the king's attention first, was not Daniel in the lion's den. That didn't happen until, you know, midway through the incident, if you will, and all of that. What caught his attention first was how Daniel worked. That's what caught his attention. He realized that Daniel had an excellent spirit in him and an excellent spirit about his work, an excellent spirit that translated into the work that he did. In other words, he did a good job. He was faithful. He was loyal. Uh, he was trustworthy. All of those kinds of things, so much so that, that the king wanted to put Daniel as head over everything, which was amazing since he wasn't a Babylonian. He was in exile and he came in. Now, we know God had his hand in all of that and God has his hand in your life, where you are in my life, where I am and all of that. But again, his work, we realize, of course, we talk about this often, that work is good. That God created us to work. We're made in his image. It's a reflection of who he is. God works, we work. God creates, we work. And, and that's a good thing. He, he, he called us to be in his image and he says, I'm going to put you in this garden, Adam, and I want you to work it. I, I want you to cultivate it. I want you to develop it, if you will. Uh, here it is. Go for it, you know. Build it up. And that's, that's in us as human beings to take dominion. Work is good. It's a reflection of the image of God as believers in Jesus. We're showing how God has redeemed that in us. And, 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 and we're to be those in our work uh, who have an excellent spirit, if you will, a spirit that says, I like work. I can do this. We're not complainers. But we're people that take it up. 
And we're not men pleasers, as the apostle says. And in our work, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be out to please our bosses. We should, when the apostle speaks of not being men pleasers, he says, to realize that you're doing your work unto God. So even when men aren't looking, you're still doing that job and you're still doing it. You're still doing it well, you see. And so we must do that. My dad was here. He always taught us as kids that wherever you go, make it better. Wherever you go, improve it. In every particular place. And, and, and you get a sense that that's what Daniel was doing. When in that place, I'm going to improve this. I'm going to make it better by, by my presence. But you see, what came through in the midst of that wasn't simply his work. It wasn't simply his character. But as Daniel became to be known, uh, everyone realized the reason he was the way that he was was because of his God. You see, he was, as the Bible puts it, above reproach. No one could find fault in him. And so anytime an accusation would be made about him, he would simply fall empty. I mean, what could you say about Daniel? But they realized there was a big difference. There was something about Daniel that was different. It made him the way that he was, but this is the way that we can catch him. What made him different was his God. What made a difference was he worshipped the God of Israel. And they didn't. And they said, okay, we know that if it comes to be a, between an either or, between our way or his God's way, he'll go his God's way. And we can get that against him. That's always there, you see. I mean, sometimes I, I, I get the sense for Daniel that no matter how much he loved them and how much he served them and how much he gave for them and, and how indispensable he had become really to all the different kings of, of Babylon and now the king here, uh, that, that he uh, still, still he was an exile. Still he was an outsider. Still, he wasn't really one of them, which is fascinating because my suspicion is that Daniel spoke with no accent. I mean, he had lived his whole adult life in Babylon. He'd been trained there. He had worked there. He had he'd been schooled there. You, you get the sense that by the time he was 80 or something, he probably sounded just like your average Babylonian. I mean, when he called somebody, they probably didn't even know that he was, you know, Jewish. I mean, they just thought, well, it's just one of us. Right? Thanks for smiling. But that's the point, you see. Still, when I went to seminary, Karen and I, we lived in New, and our kids, we lived in New England, and uh, we lived on a street in a little village, if you will, um, called Anasquam, and it was it was an old village, as many in New England, of course, houses had had bullet holes from the Revolutionary War, at least that's what people said, anyway, and uh, and the house we lived in was built in 1750. Now, that was the old part. The new part was built in 1780. Uh, and while that may sound very romantic, I was a seminary student. We had no money, and this house was a mess. That's why we could afford to live there. But uh, anyway, I, I say that only to say that down the street was a woman who had to be in her 70s, if not 80s, 80s. Karen befriended her. She did all the people on the block. She always does. And so she got to know her and they take her to the grocery store. And what was fascinating to us is that this woman had lived on that street in that house for more than 50 years. But because she was from Connecticut, she always referred to herself as an outsider. That's New England. That's Babylon. That's the world in which we live. In that sense, 
We're still outsiders, no matter how long we're here, no matter how much we love, no matter how much we serve, no matter what we do. In the context of this, when push comes to shove, then you see we're still the exile. Because they know that we are who we are, at least we hope they know, because of Jesus. And that's this sense here. So, of course, they come up with this plot to... um, to deal with Daniel, if you will. And they come up with this, with this, with this plan. Now it's difficult to know exactly the, the sense of the plan. They said to King Darius when they, they came in, they said that no one can make a plea to uh, ask anything or request of anything to any god or, or any other person other than you. So were they setting Darius up to be a, a 30 day trial package god or uh, a priest to be the intermediary, whatever it is that we know that, that basically all the religious institutions around Babylon would shut down and, and Darius would be the guy. He'd be the only one to whom they could, they could come at this point. And they knew, of course, that Daniel could never cooperate with that. They knew him well and they knew that he could never uh, cooperate uh, with that. Uh, again, this sense of, of finding something about his faith. You see, We know, we really do need to know, no matter how much others love us who aren't believers, no matter how much the world loves us that aren't believers, no matter how integrated we are in, no matter how much we serve, no matter what a good job we do, no matter how, how faithful we are in the midst of all of that, when push comes to shove, that we're still different. And if it comes down to our faith, and throughout history, It almost always does. No matter any of that, we're still on the outside. And we still could potentially lose it all. Even our lives. That's what Daniel is faced with in this particular situation. Because I know right now, in our culture, the presenting issue is sexuality. And that's the presenting issue. That, that's the one that always comes up. That, that's the one that, that seems to be where the line is in, in the context of homosexuality and so forth. But you see, it's deeper than that. I mean, that's just the iceberg tip, right? But because you see, the, the real difference is that we believe that Jesus is Lord. Right? We believe... That there's no reconciliation with God except through Jesus, the biblical Jesus, the God-man Jesus, the Jesus who died for the sins of sinners, that Jesus. We, that, that's really the, the heart of it, the guts of it. Sometimes when people come to me and they say, well, I don't like you Christians because you, you, you hold this view, you hold that view, you hold this view. I say, that's, that's not, that's just the least of it. Let me tell you what really divides us. What really divides us is... We believe that Jesus is Lord. We believe that we're sinners without hope, except in the sovereign mercy of God. We believe that unless one's forgiven their sins, one will be condemned to hell. And we believe there's no forgiveness of sins without faith in Jesus. We believe there's no forgiveness of sins without the cross. We believe there's no forgiveness of sins without Jesus' life, death, resurrection. Uh, We believe that he rules and reigns over all things. And so, so really, we're simply... 
trusting, submitting to him. I mean, that's the, that's the heart of it. This is, these, these are just sim- symptoms of that. These are just issues. But the heart of it, that's where we really disagree. You should either love me more or hate me more. Right? You should feel closer to me by believing or, or farther apart from me by realizing that the depth of our difference, you see. And, and so as, when that exists, as believers... Though we needn't flaunt it. I don't think Daniel was a flaunter. I don't think he was making issues to make issues. He was simply living. And while his life was exemplary, I don't know that I can imagine his life knowing my life. I don't know that I can imagine how loyal, faithful, smart, conscientious, and all that that he was in his job, knowing how I am in mine. Oh, I shouldn't tell you that. You understand. He was above reproach in every way. And yet still, he finds himself on the outs. And there he was, certainly, in that. Way. Now, we realize that when Daniel got this report, it appears that there was no hesitancy at all for him. Now, again, I, I think we, the, the right picture, I think, I've checked this with others, we know more than I do, but the right picture, I think, isn't what I often had in my head as a kid. What I had in, in mind as a kid, and I'm sure some well-meaning Sunday school teacher put it there, uh, but is that that Daniel got this word and he very noisily walked back to his apartment, his house, and he went upstairs and he flung open the windows and he, he knelt right in front of the windows with his head hanging out the window and in the loudest voice possible said, Oh Lord my God. That's not, I don't think, the right picture at all. I think the right picture is Daniel got that information and said, Hmm. Oh my, it's time to pray. I do this every day. I've been doing this every day for, oh, 60 years. And I have the windows in my, my room open towards Jerusalem because that's where my heart is. My heart isn't in Babylon. My heart's in Jerusalem. And, and I remember what, what King Solomon said when, when he dedicated the temple. He said, he said the name of the Lord would be there. I know the temple can contain him, but the name of the Lord is there. And, and, and so uh, Solomon said, anywhere we are, we should face the, t- the temple and, and God will forgive and God will heal and God will help and God will provide and all of that. So, so I, I've always had my windows open towards Jerusalem. And I'll kneel like I always kneel in the same place I've always knelt. I'm not going to kneel behind the, behind the couch. I'm not going to kneel over here in the corner. I'm just going to kneel where I always kneel. And, and I'm just going to go through my day. Because you see, nothing's really changed. I can't not pray. I wasn't flaunting. I wasn't doing anything different at all. No panic, it seems. In Daniel, I don't sense it at all. Do you? I don't sense any panic at all in Daniel. And, and even when he prayed, what's amazing is it says he gave thanks. You see, if that was me, I, I, I might, hmm, I might close him a little. Might be off in the corner a bit. 
But unlike Daniel, I would probably pray 300 times in panic. And my prayer wouldn't be so much, thank you, Lord, that you've blessed me. Thank you, Lord, that you've given me this position. Thank you, Lord, that you've, you've, you've caused others to see my faith. And now they've even come against me. And thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to bless you and to, 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 to give praise and honor to your name as I, as I pray here today, as always. And then we know in Daniel 9, we'll see a prayer that he prayed. It says in the first year of King Darius. And that prayer, basically, any pleas that he makes, he pleads on behalf of the people to forgive them of their sins. He pleads on behalf of the, the people that, 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 you would send, that he, God would send them back to Jerusalem. He pleads on behalf of the people that God would rebuild Jerusalem. He prays for, for Jerusalem and the, and the health of, 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 of the city there and, and, and the great desire to go back there and all of that. And so I, maybe he prayed about the lions. I don't know, but I think the lions would come up in my prayer. But for Daniel, it was sort of business as usual, you see. And there he was. There he was. In fact, one author puts it like this. The impression of the narrative intends, the narrative intends to impart is Daniel's unflinching obedience. He doesn't question or worry. He acts. He doesn't bow toward Darius, but towards Jerusalem. Darius is neither the object nor the mediator of his prayer. That role is taken by Yahweh. This author goes on. The mention of three times a day indicates that Daniel's prayer on this occasion isn't stirred by the decree. It's part of his regular habit. He's not flaunting his rebellion in the face of the king's orders. It's business as usual. Indeed, the description of his prayer is a statement that he's neither flaunting nor hiding his religious practice. After all, he's praying in an upper room with the windows open. He's not on public display, but neither is he hiding from the determined spies. I wonder. Hmm. I wonder what it is in our own life that would be even close to this challenging, that would tempt us from openly, honestly, going about our business, the way Christians live their lives in the worship of God. Again, I don't know what the laws will be in a year or five years concerning sexuality and so forth. We realize that it could be the laws are made that we cannot follow in the normal course of our lives. I don't know. And the question for me is, will I continue to go through the habits of my life? Will we continue to go through the normal paces of, of our worship of God uh, in our prayers and in our worship and, and all of that in the way that we live our lives? I mean, will we realize that? Because we realize that, that it could be that we'll be threatened with the loss of jobs. It may be for some, but they say, if you hold that view, you can't teach here. You can't do business here. You know, with that view. And no matter how much we may try to accommodate and say, well, I can, I may not have any. Your choice was fascinating here is that Darius, as you know, didn't really want to send Daniel to the lions. 
I mean, he really didn't. He, he spent the whole day trying to figure out a way that he could, he could keep Daniel from going to the lions. And, 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 and yet he couldn't. He was stuck by the law of the land. We, we may have friends in the places that we work and certain laws could happen in the midst of our culture. And even though they don't want to enforce them on us, they're just stuck. They, they just really have to. That's the law of the land. How could they do anything different? Sometimes I, I read about the situation in Nazi Germany and I, I realized that there were some Germans who, who had deep grief over what was happening to their Jewish countrymen. Ah, but they couldn't do anything about it. They just watched it happen. Darius just watched it happen. He, he didn't know what to do about it. But, but I wonder, too, if God doesn't supply for us some lesser tests. I mean, I don't know what Daniel went through in the course of his life, but, but obviously he, he, he was this man of God throughout his whole life, and yet he continued to pray, don't you know? He may have taken some slack, uh, flack for that over, over the course of time. We, we don't know, but, but he continued to do that. He continued to pray. That was his habit, and people obviously knew of that. I, I just wonder. I, I think especially as Sunday mornings become uh, like any other day of the week in the culture in which we live. And I wonder what might take place over the course of this generation and the next generation if the Lord so tarries. And and we have that. So often the social law is that if you don't participate in this activity on Sunday, then your kids will never play on this team. Your kids will never be happy. Your kids will never have friends. Your kids will be ostracized by other kids. Therefore, what are you going to do? What's your decision about worship and the worship of God? Where do, we, where do we stand? Where do we place ourselves in, in that situation? I, I wonder, I worry, I'm concerned about those things about us. With this party, this opportunity, this, this golf match, this marathon, this race, whatever it is on, on a Sunday morning, what, we, what will we do? What will we choose? You know, if I'm Daniel, perhaps I'm thinking, you know what? I hold a really high position in Babylon. That would be such a waste to lose. I mean, why should I risk that? Maybe there's another way. I can still pray. I just don't have to pray in front of my windows. I, I, can, I can pray, but I can do it quietly and privately. No one will ever know because, because why should I risk this great position that I have in Babylon? My people need me here. And it's only for a month. It's only for 30 days. At the end of this 30-day period, we'll get back to normal. Life will be fine. We can rationalize so easily in those ways. I'm not saying these are easy decisions that we have to make coming up. And I'm not sure there's any one rule fits all, but I'm just saying. And I know you're thinking too. At what point does it end? It's fascinating to me that, that Christians generally win by dying. It's been our history. We don't win by having everyone agree with us and change everything. We don't win by sit-ins. We don't win by protests. 
I mean by dying. Alexander went to pray prepared to die. He, he wasn't an idiot. He knew lions. He knew people in close proximity to lions. He knew what the intent of all that was. As John sees the great martyrs in the Revelation, he said they overcame him by the word of their testimony and by the blood of the Lamb, for they did not love their lives even unto death. They they kept their faithful testimony in Jesus. They they trusted in his blood that he was covering them and that they would live forever. And then they didn't love their lives even unto death. That is to say they were willing to die for all of that. And we see that in Daniel at this in this situation. Now, what's fascinating, of course, is that God delivers him. We, we You know the story. Must have been a fascinating night in that city. Uh, everything was a bit uh, turned on its ear. The king that you thought would have a nice night of, of eating and sleeping didn't eat and sleep. And Daniel that you thought would have a miserable night of uh, being eaten and not sleeping uh, had a great night. I mean, if there's anything in common between Darius and the lions is they both fasted. Neither could eat. Now, it wasn't that the lions weren't hungry because we know what happened in the morning when the others were fed to them. It was the fact that someone showed up. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Remember the fiery furnace? Remember that the angel showed up? The angel of the Lord showed up, this fourth person in there with them that they saw. Nobody could see in where Daniel was, but the same expression is used. The angel of the Lord showed up. The angel came and shut the mouths of the lions. And God interceded, and he was delivered. Now, we don't always have the promise that that will happen to us. This happened to Daniel this particular time in history because that's what needed to take place. We know in other times in history, the lions had their way with Christians and so forth. But, but in this particular occasion, um, Daniel was uh, delivered here. But, but we realize that the great lesson, and this has been the lesson throughout Daniel so far, is that despite appearances, God is in control. That's a lesson from chapter 1 through chapter 6. That despite what it looks like, whether you've just been exiled as a young boy into this place, whether now you have this dream that you must interpret for the king, or whether there's a fiery furnace, or whatever it happens to be, that despite the appearances of it. God really is in control. And then the thing we realize is that it doesn't always look like he is, but, but, but the lesson is the thing that runs through our minds, the reason we're given these stories, these incidents in history, from biblical history to, to remember and to think about, isn't to be childish about it, isn't to be naive about it, but to realize that God really is in control and God really does deliver. And this really did, did happen, you see. And so... Whether it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in chapter 3 saying, I won't bow to an idol. Or if it's Daniel in chapter 6 saying, I will bow to the true and living God. The first two commandments, by the way. That is the way we're to live. And we're to trust that God has all of that in control. And that God will care for us in the way that he'll care for us both in this life and the next. Because you see, what we have here too is a wonderful picture of someone named Jesus. 
You remember when Jesus was with his disciples, they were walking after the, the resurrection. And it, the scripture says, Luke 24, says that Jesus taught them from Moses and the prophets all things concerning himself. Wonder what he said when he got to Daniel. My suspicion, something like this. Well, you know, Daniel was in a situation, wasn't he, where false charges were raised against him, where the law of the land was against him. What was fascinating, though, is that the king of the law wasn't against him, but he was kind of stuck in being against him, and he really couldn't do anything other than to to appease those who had brought the charges against him. Not only that, but Daniel was made the head of the whole kingdom. He he was to be the head of the whole kingdom, you see, Uh, but but, but he wasn't at that point in time. Uh, He was just going to be made head of the whole kingdom, and and he had to go through this ordeal before he could be made head of the the kingdom, you see, and and, and so the, the charges came against Daniel, and they found him praying. And from his praying, then they arrested him and, and they took him and they put him in this den of lions. And they covered it with a big stone. It was sealed with the king's ring so that nobody could get in and so that nobody could say, if he did get out, that, that you know, something was tampered with or somebody let him out or something like that. And, and so, so that all took place. And then, what do you know? I don't know about you, but if Jesus is saying that to me, I'm thinking... Oh, yeah, trumped up charges. Oh, yeah, you were to be head of the whole kingdom. Oh, yeah, the, the, the king probably didn't really want to do this, but, but, but he, he really had to appease those. And so, so it, it all took place. And, 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 and there was, this, there, there was this, this big stone. It got rolled away, got rolled in front of, a seal was put on it so nobody would get in and get out. And so, so that you wouldn't have to, to think that if, if anything happened to the body, that, that, that really it was. And, and, but the difference, of course, is, that Daniel didn't suffer a scratch. But Jesus died. But the similarity is that, that, that they both rose, Daniel out of this certain death, and Jesus out of this real death. No scratches, a few scratches. See, a day will come when the lion and the lamb will lay down together. And that because the lion of Judah has tamed the whole world. And a day will come, you see, when we'll live on that world together in perfect peace. We'll live in that world and Everyone will understand us and we'll understand everyone else. No one will find anything against us and everyone will agree with our faith. And we live in this world and prosper together under this one who is the king. Now I say that to say that in this life it's not like that. There are still lions. The Apostle Peter says there's, there's a lion. He's roaring around Satan. And there's, there's lions. There's difficulties. There's those who could come against us. And there's that danger, if you will. But we mustn't fear. Why? Because we know that Jesus has conquered all the lions. And we know that whatever we're going through at the moment, God really is in control. And no matter what happens, a day will come. I'm not into tattoos. But if I were, I would have tattooed somewhere close. A day will come. A day will come. A day will come. A day will come when 
will know the peace. So we can jump into dens of lions if need be. We can be pushed into dens of lions if need be. We can be thrown into dens of lions if need be. And we needn't fear. Because the Lord really is. The Lord really is with us. Let's pray. Father, pray for me, for us. We believe that. And that even as we find ourselves in difficulties, even even if it comes down to our faith, even if, if it's a mild challenge to us, that you'd give us wisdom to respond well, that, Father, nothing would change our routine of how we live in your presence. May we never stop praying. May we never stop worshiping. May we never stop speaking of you. Enable us to live it out. For what us to us is natural. So that uh, others may see the truth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And worship. And worship you. Father, we know that there are those who are experiencing difficulty in the life of our congregation, and thus we pray for them. Many come to mind, I'm sure. Maybe here, just very personally, various ones have particular needs they would, they're raising to even, even now, whether they be financial needs or relational needs or emotional needs or spiritual needs or need for community or for being together with others. The deep hurts, Father, and deep pains. And so I pray, God, that you would, you would take those and you would bring healing and health and hope. Let me give you a thanks for a good surgery for Warren Weeby this week. And we pray that as this next week comes around with pathology reports and doctor's appointments and all of that, 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 Well, it's our heart's desire that you bring healing to his life. And Father, we're grateful that Melissa fosters home from the hospital and we give you thanks for her life continue to bring healing there. We thank you for babies that the Claussons have now been approved for this adoption of Maggie Ann. And so, Father, we're grateful for that too. And so we pray that uh, in your wonderful grace that you would enable us to live Help us to live in this place in such a way that serves uh, the people of our community well, that loves them well, that, that uh, meets needs and all of that. And Father, if ever push would come to shove in the context of the life of our faith, I pray that we would not panic and we would continue to love and we'd continue to walk with you. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction.